Efficiency is often mistranslated as getting the maximum result in the minimum amount of time. And that's not what efficiency means. Efficiency is not a binary equation. Efficiency is a complex right. multivariable equation where you're trying mm -hmm. to maximize positive outcomes and minimize negative outcomes. Hello, positive leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Furpaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of Furpaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes, email me at andrea at furpaws.us, or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome back positive leadership listeners. We have an amazing guest today, Brett Canfield, a BFA, which we'll find out what that is in a short minute. He is the Director of Organizational Development at Summit Veterinary Referral. Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're super looking forward Welcome, to uh, Brett. getting into it today. Yeah, we made Excited it. Excited to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So, Brett, I don't know what a BFA is, and I would love to know what that is. And I would love to know a little bit more about you, if you can tell us about who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Oh, goodness gracious. Absolutely. A BFA is a set of very important skills, which are completely irrelevant to pretty much everything that I do all day long. It stands for a Fantastic. bachelor. Right? It stands uh, for a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. When I was in college, I decided that I was going to be a digital animator, which is actually where I started my career. I spent the first little bit working with movie studios and doing digital animation and realized pretty quickly into my career that that required me to sit in front of a computer screen all the time and not interface with my fellow humans. Yeah. And I realized quickly, but not quickly enough, that my passions lay elsewhere. So I did a pretty hard pivot and started to pursue other avenues and the, the rest, as they sort of say, is history. It brought me here. And I'm glad that you are in veterinary medicine, shaking it up in our profession. Me too. If you could share with our listeners your favorite um, book or class or CE or even podcast, something that left a lasting impression on you, what would it be? It's so tough to pick favorites. I, you know, right? I'll, yeah. I'll say this. So I mean, I could. Good ones. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I could be super brown nosy and, and mention this podcast because you guys actually uh, oh, have some pretty amazing sweet. episodes. But Thank um, you. all joking aside, I, I love consuming knowledge uh, and our industry has so many good resources. That said, I often find myself hooking into resources outside of our veterinary community just based on the needs that I'm trying to fill for, for my team and for the people that I work with. So, for example, right now, de escalation and burnout and moral injury and wellness is such an mm -hmm. important topic that I've been enjoying things, for example, like the Dare to Awaken series, which is actually by the, the famous yoga teacher, Travis Elliott. Okay. Haven't uh, heard that one. It's pretty good. You know, it gets a little bit woo-woo, but I mean, I'm on the West Coast, so <laughs> woo-woo is kind of what we do. Right. Uh, we woo-woo well over here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of our jam. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because, you know, that's a part of my life that I've always sort of kept a little bit more on the DL until recently it's become more and more into the forefront of what I do. 
And I'm actually amazed at how much our community really kind of very quickly adapts to it. There have been situations in which I, I've brought up some concepts which I think are much more woo-woo and had people like lean in entirely and be like, oh my God, let's do more of that. And it's like, okay, all right. Maybe I need to not make as many assumptions. But, you know, that's that's always an area I go to. In terms of other favorite resources, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is, is actually uh, Influence by Dr. Robert Cialdini, which has his six principles of persuasion in it. I feel like something that gets lost sometimes in our industry is the importance of actually influencing people, influencing our clients, influencing mm-hmm. each other. Right. Yeah. And I feel like so often people look at that word and they're like, oh, my God, like influence is bad. Persuasion is bad. And what I try to remind everybody is we're in the business of persuasion, not manipulation, right? Manipulation is antisocial, but persuasion is <laughs> is awesome. Persuasion is pro-social. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to change behaviors. We're trying to change the world and you don't change the world if you don't have some influence. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're currently the director of organizational development for a multi-specialty uh, referral and emergency critical care hospital. What is organizational development? I mean, I hate to joke about it, but it sounds something like you'd find at the container store, like <laughs> organizing your crafts, right. you know, or whatever. Totally. I mean, obviously, we, it's got to be a smart discipline. Um, and why is it important to vet med? And how do you marry what sounds like a very academic discipline with veterinary medicine? Yeah, great question. I mean, <laughs> the short answer is nobody knows what organizational development is, and uh, myself included sometimes. I-, I feel like the role probably means different things to different people. I'll-, I'll share with you what I think I do. I think that this is a very new concept in veterinary medicine. I feel like my job is to be a non-medical specialist. If I put it into a sentence, supports our people as well as our su- people support our patients. If I can do that, mm-hmm. if I can support our people as well as they support our patients, I think I'm doing my job. But it's kind of like one part unicorn, one part ninja, one part wild oh, animal wrangler. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. And, and there's a few different parts of it, right? So I'll share with you kind of what I focus on. But everyone in our industry is struggling to some degree with workflow, right? We have log jams and bottlenecks. We have issues with operational efficiency. We have issues with culture. We have issues with communication, with engagement, with training, with learning and development. Those are our chronic challenges for the veterinary world. And part of the reason for that is because every day is game day. We don't get the opportunity to practice. It's not like Summit is closed multiple days a week so that we can get all this stuff right. And then, okay, now we're opening for business. Like We're a 24-7, 365 uh, emergency tertiary referral center. We're a trauma hospital. Every minute of every day is game day. And we're in the business of saving lives. So organizational development is trying to upgrade that plane while it's in flight, focusing on things like efficiency, productivity, training, learning and development, but but also the other side of that equation, right? Culture and communication and leadership and getting the core stuff right. Because when you're in the business of saving lives, you, you, you don't have the option of doing stuff fairly well. In a nutshell, that's it. Like just as an example, I'm I'm currently helping Summit reinvent our ER workflow and convert to like an acuity-based pod system in terms of our our workflow, our our people flow in the ER. What we're trying to essentially do is is help my hospital and help the industry in general in roles like this transition from that role of like not drowning, keeping our lips above the waterline, which is where I feel like we spend most of our time, and actually swimming. And those are not the same thing. Right. Yeah. Not drowning I totally is not agree. The same yeah. Right. Throw us a life, a life vest. Right. Right. So I'm trying to wrap my head around that, Brett. Then when you talk about some of those big chunky things, th- those are almost like project based. How much of the time do you spend in a regular workday on the floor with the team mm-hmm. versus working on developing a system, a better system, a you know, more organized system? Yeah, great question. The, the, the smart alecky answer is as much as I possibly can. The real answer is that I'm on the floor the majority of the time, because the truth is the floor is where the magic happens. Improving things like efficiency and engagement and, and workflow and culture, those things don't happen in a vacuum and they don't happen in a meeting. Right, Although, yeah. you know, meetings certainly happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're all choices. Everything that I'm working on is a choice. Efficiency, believe it or not, is a choice. 
it's a choice that sometimes we make consciously. It's a choice that sometimes mm -hmm. we make subconsciously, but it's always a choice. It's the same as engagement. I try to spend as much time immersed with the team as I possibly can. Sometimes there are days when that's an hour or two. There are days when that's 12, 13, 14, 15 hours. Honestly, it just kind of depends on the day and depends on the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but... right. It depends on the shit show happening, right? Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So you were talking about a little bit about what you're working on currently, and you were talking about, you know, swimming, not sinking in the ER. Right. Does a system like that exist? Obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming there's some, you know, proprietary nature of what you're developing for your current employer, but like in human medicine no, really. or across the industry, who, who, who in an ER setting can swim, not sink? And where are you getting some of your, um, your inspiration to develop this system that sounds like it'll serve them in, in the industry really well? I mean, it's, it's a great question. The, the truth is, in my previous role, I worked, you know, as a consultant in the vet industry, and I, I probably went into, I'm going to say somewhere around 200 different vet hospitals. So, you know, my best ideas aren't my ideas at all, just like my worst ideas. Um, they're, they're anecdotal, right? So mm -hmm. I tend to, like a lot of folks, I tend to look at things that are working and try to see if we can implement them in different areas, scale them, scope them. And like anything, there, there are different operational workflows. The, the workflow that we do as a default setting in veterinary medicine, I'll call it like the little kids playing soccer workflow, because that's what it feels like. If you've ever watched little kids play soccer, it's like a giant oh, hilarious. mass it's of great. humans. Yes. Yeah. Except for like the one little girl that's like picking daisies way out in the corner. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Right. Like, really distracted. Yeah. And... Somebody else chasing a butterfly out there. Just digging right? her cleats into the ground. Right. <laughs> and that's what it feels like in veterinary medicine. Right. Especially in an ER. What happens is the giant mass of people is following around the ball. And in this case, the ball is the patient. A triage comes in, it's a stat, and everyone's like, what do we need to do? How can I help? Where, where do you need me? And that's great, except little kids playing soccer aren't that good at it. <laughs> they mm -hmm. don't know what the goals are. Mm -hmm. They don't know what their position is. They don't know what good looks like, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what we're trying to do is, is see if we can put some structure to it. And, you know, the pod system is basically what you'd call like a full tandem model. So we're trying to create teams where there's obviously a veterinarian, there's an LVT, there's an assistant. Sometimes those numbers change a little bit. It depends on the department. And we, we try to have those folks play specific roles. Those mm -hmm. roles have specific goals and, and SOPs and skills. What we're hopefully trying to minimize are things like redundancy, miscommunication, and something I believe very strongly in, which, which I'll call heat loss. Every time a patient is handed off, there's heat loss you lose some bit of information, some nuance. And sometimes if you're very effective at it, it's a tiny bit of information that gets lost. But still, if you hand off a patient 12 times, that's 12 opportunities to miss an important detail regarding patient care. Mm -hmm. And if we're really gonna put a model in place that's gonna maximize our opportunity for patient outcomes, maximize our opportunity for client experience, maximize our opportunity for staff experience. Mm -hmm. We should probably minimize the number of those handoffs and, and redundancies and all those things that happen. Mm -hmm. Not just so we can have better throughput, but so that we actually practice better medicine. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's not so much necessarily about how many you can move through, but the quality of what you move through, you know, it's kind of reminds me of the game telephone a little bit. Uh, exactly. And, and, and there's, and there's some real life kind of serious consequences to that. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. I mean, um, it's why efficiency yeah. gets a bad rap, to be honest with right. you. Efficiency, sure. efficiency is often mistranslated as getting the maximum result in the minimum amount of time. And that's not what efficiency means. Efficiency is not a binary equation. Efficiency is a complex right. multivariable equation where you're trying mm -hmm. to maximize positive outcomes and minimize negative outcomes. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that makes sense. I, right. I had once had a client say, hey, is there any way you can get us to do 15-minute wellness exams? And I said, yeah, of course. And they were shocked. They were like, really? That easily? And I was like, I can get you to do five-minute wellness exams. Yeah. And they said, no way. And I said, of course. Yeah, but what are you missing there? What are you compromising? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. We yeah. could do five-minute wellness exams. You would just sacrifice patient care, client experience, yep. staff experience, right. burnout. Yep. Right? Yeah, you could do it, yeah. but at whose expense? Yeah. Right. So maybe we and shouldn't just worry about, yeah, let's not just focus on how quickly things get done. Let's focus mm -hmm. on creating the maximum amount of positive outcomes and the minimum amount of negative outcomes. Mm -hmm. And if that takes us... 24 and a half minutes, then it takes us 24 and a half minutes. Right. Interesting. So you mentioned that some of these 
techniques, background, and 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 uh, kind of ideas that you have are, are you know somewhat anecdotal. I'm curious if you will chat a little bit about, and if there is not, you know, let me know. But if there is an evidence based, or I should say, a even a prospective, uh, you know, attempt to measure what you're doing and that that kind of feedback loop. I mean, obviously, we're aware of you know, some of the biases and heuristics and stuff that we, that we face. Sure. So, you know, anecdotes yeah. are great, right? You start from there, but what is your thought process as an organizational development specialist? If you, for say, you know, you try the pod thing, you throw it up on the wall, how do you measure uh, whether it's working? Yeah, no, great question. You're, you're bringing out my inner geek for sure. If you're going to do what we're talking about effectively, you've got to be able to measure it. Now, sometimes those criteria are very subjective, right? If you're trying to measure something like staff engagement, Engagement by definition is subjective. So you can do things like you can implement surveys, you can have questionnaires, and that gives you data points. As one of my mentors once said, all data is wrong, but some data is helpful. When it comes to other metrics, like if you're looking at something like implementing an operational workflow, the more operational your project gets, the easier it is to come up with key performance indicators to measure it. So for example, if we're looking at the pod system, what variables would we track? Well, I'd look at things, for example, like throughput. So the number of appointments per veterinarian per day. I would look at sort of team dynamics in terms of, you know, the staff to vet ratio in order to get those results. I would look at variables like efficiency. If there are certain metrics that we're trying to gauge, how long do those things take, right? How long does it take to intake a patient if we prototype it this way versus how long does it take to intake a patient if we prototype it that way. And for me, I could talk about KPIs all day because I absolutely love them. But one of the things I caution us of doing in our industry that I think we do way too much is that we get really fixated on lag measures and we only look at lag measures, right? And unfortunately, lag measures can be great, but things like EBITDA, turnover, I mean, there's a bajillion of them, right? If we're just focused on those, which are by definition lag measures, there's a certain amount of time that you have to wait before those numbers reflect what you're doing. If you only rely on those, you're always going to be very, very slow to pivot. Mm -hmm. And one of the skills of trying to improve any of the things we're talking about is being able to prototype. Because it's another mistake we make in, in veterinary medicine, and I'm, I'm sure elsewhere, right? The vet world is my world, so I can only speak intelligently about that or maybe quasi-intelligently about, about that. <laughs> Sometimes when we make a change, we're like, okay, gang, we've talked about it for two years. We're implementing this. This is what we're doing for the rest of all time. Those things tend not to work out so well. What tends to work out much better is we've got a good idea. We think it's got some legs to it. We're going to prototype it, which means we're going to give it a shot for a certain amount of time, and here's how we're going to measure whether or not it's successful. And if it isn't, we're either going to stop doing it or we're going to pivot and tweak it and try something slightly different. Mm -hmm. The prototype, the iterative methodology is Mm -hmm. so much more effective than this concept of like, let's get it 100% right the first time. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we end up rarely making good change because Mm -hmm. to some degree, perfection is the enemy of progress, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. In a past life, you were your title was Global Process Efficiency Advisor. So um, I'll have you break <laughs> that down. Um, and ethnographer. And, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about those. But, you know, when I think of ethnographer, I think of ethnicity. But that's probably <laughs> not related. But Global Process Efficiency Advisor. It's a great title, by the way. But break that down for us. What are those and, and how did they pertain to veterinary medicine? Or what was their, what was their usefulness in, in veterinary medicine? Yeah, great question. You know, I I obviously collect very esoteric titles. Um, Global Process Efficiency Advisor, Director of Organizational Development, or DUDE for short. Um, Yeah, how are you making these up, Brett? Like, just like doodle and then what comes out of that (laughs) is your new title? (laughs) Right, I wish. I actually said at Summit that my my new title headed into 2022 should be Lord of Lofty Titles, but they were, they they didn't go for it. Fantastic. No, they didn't go with that. (laughs) (laughs) But process efficiency is amazing. Um, And I still use it on a daily basis. It's it's actually a methodology that was developed by a couple gentlemen that I had the pleasure of working with for years, uh, Tom Baker and Pat Thomas, who actually run a consulting firm now called Patham. It is an approach to operations, workflow, communication, in life, honestly. Process efficiency utilizes ethnography. Ethnography is a fancy word for deep immersion and observation. So it's a term that comes from anthropology. And to your point, David, has the same root word as ethnicity, right? It is the understanding and immersion 
in other cultures. So what does it mean? It means that I wanted to bring value to veterinary medicine. So many, many years ago, I started going into these clinics as part of my consulting gig and saying, hey, Andrea, David, what do you need? What's, what's keeping you up at night? And the answer that I would hear the most often is, well, what can you do? Give me a menu of services. And I'd say, well, but I want to cater my services to what's keeping you up at night. And they'd say, right, but I don't want to ask you for help in something that you don't know how to do. And we ended up in this really weird loop. So what I started saying instead of asking questions like that is saying, I'll tell you what, why don't I come in and observe the team for a half day, for a couple of days? It depends on the project. And you can certainly give me some direction. I want to be able to look at everything and I want to be able to discover the latent need, right? The underlying, what we'll call the problem behind the problem. Because so often in veterinary medicine, we do an amazing job, a masterful job even, of solving the wrong problem. Like when I ask people what's keeping them up at night, they'll say, oh, recruiting. I need help recruiting. Well, everybody needs help recruiting right now. And we'll start working, right? I mean, the whole world is short-staffed. So we'll start trying to fix the problem of recruiting. We'll look at ads. We'll look at approach. We'll try to spice things up. We'll try different avenues. And what we'll realize is actually recruiting isn't the problem. Appropriate staffing is the problem. Well, the solution to that might not be your recruiting paradigm. The solution to that might be your retention. Yeah, retention. Approach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it right. might be your That's efficiency. That. Completely opposite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, ethnography really just means immersing yourself in the culture. And you know, one of the things I love the most about Summit is Summit is incredibly innovative. Incredibly, their leaders do the best job they can of really trying to spend time on the floor and really trying to understand what's really happening so that we don't do a masterful job of solving the wrong problem. Do we always get it right? Heck no, I wish we did. But um, spending that time on the floor at least gives us a closer pulse to what's really happening. In, in terms of the role itself, Global Process Efficiency Advisor, it, it, it kind of is exactly what it sounds like. We worked with, with animal clinics and, and feed yards and large animal facilities all over the world. There was a whole group of about 84 five, I want to say, of us at any given time, it actually ended up creating sort of the right set of skills for me to step into my current role, which is part of the reason that I joke that nobody understands what organizational development is, because to some degree, it's still in its like larval stage. <laughs> we're, we're still kind of figuring out mm-hmm. what is this yeah, and, right. and what do we want it to be, right? Yeah. So, Brett, you talked a lot about inefficiencies in the veterinary workplace, you know, particularly in your practice and the practices that you've been involved with. And I would love to hear where are we in veterinary practices as a whole, and whether it be specialty, ER, general practice, what are the processes in veterinary hospitals that were just notoriously inefficient, where we just suck? Uh, well, I mean, without beating up my own gang, uh, kind of all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> A to Z. <laughs> right? Kind of the whole shebang. Oh, I mean, boy. Yep. Right? I mean, that's what's hard. It's the truth about most vet clinics. I mean, I'll go back to the analogy we were talking about, right? The previous analogy of swimming versus simply not drowning. It's really hard to be an efficient swimmer or an effective swimmer if you're spending almost all of your time thrashing around in the undertow trying to dodge sharks. We spend a lot of time in veterinary medicine in that space. Every day is busy. Every day is hard. This is not an easy profession. If folks listening to, to this show right now are, you know, have gotten into veterinary medicine because they wanted to work three days a week and, and earn $100,000 a year, you messed up. Not it. No. Right. So what you're no. saying is we're really good at swimming away from sharks or thrashing away from sharks, I should we're, say. We're amazing at surviving. Process. We yeah, we're amazing right? at surviving, right? But we are notoriously inefficient with things like training or workflow or team development or courageous conversations. And how does that manifest into our day-to-day? We're not always amazing at creating standard operating procedures and things like that, right? We create SOPs, but our SOPs are sometimes operating procedures, not standard operating <laughs> So let's dive into this a little bit. What are some of these common mistakes that we make in regards to efficiency in that process? Like, where do we get that process wrong? And then how can we, the inverse of that, right? How do we flip that around to make those processes more functional? Yeah, great question. I mean, one great example for, you know, that a lot of us deal with on a day-to-day basis is doing things like wellness exams. We don't get to do those at Summit as much as I would like, but I've witnessed literally thousands of them. And what we tend to do is we ask our assistants to get a history 
And then the veterinarians go in and they get the same information again. It's it, by definition, it's that is one that drives me batty, right? like right. batty when I have that's such a waste of time. Like it takes us 10 minutes to get the exam. We're late anyway. And then 10 minutes to take a history and then 10 minutes to tell that doctor and then 10 more minutes for the doctor to come in. That's right. 10 more right. minutes for the client to tell the doctor again. And now we're that's like, right. oh, time's up. You have to leave now. It, well, I mean, that's exactly efficient. it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's redundant and redundancy is by definition inefficient. Now, mm-hmm. I know what a lot of people are probably thinking that are listening to this, which is like, well, I have to do that because I get different information and you're not wrong. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed how often an LVT or an assistant will ask yes. a client a question like, hey, do you ever do you ever go hiking with Bosco or anything like that? And then they'll be like, no, no, no never. never. And then the vet will come in and they'll say, hey, talk to me about your outside activities. And they're like, oh, yeah, we go walking in the woods for like an hour and a half a day. And meanwhile, you know, the assistant's in the corner charting and they're like, how? I swear I asked that question. <laughs> how in the hell is that not hiking? You know? Right. <laughs> so I get it. But I mean, here's another here's another example. What we tend to do is we tend to ask our most skilled staff to do our most difficult work. Now, that sounds like an awesome idea. But if David is our catheter ninja, David can place a catheter better than anybody else. What we tend to do is we tend to default asking David to place the catheter. Mm-hmm. He's quick. He's efficient. Mm-hmm. That's how yeah, we stay efficient. Right. Yeah. We'll done in no time. This is right. amazing. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's the problem with doing that? The, the yeah, problem. nobody else learns. Yeah, right. and we right. really right. should be reserving David for when nobody can get the damn catheter right. in. And, oh, right. now right. we call David in. Call the fake right. guns in when you need him. That's right. And yeah. you're also like super highly leveraged, right? Like exactly if right. David exactly. calls out sick, the whole thing crumbles. You know, the whole yep. day. Yep. I mean, right. How many times, yep. Andrew, have you dealt with a, where the doctor comes running into your office? Sam isn't here to get all my patients down under anesthesia. You know, yeah, what do I right. do? And I'm like, I just need to get payroll done. I mean, what is going on? Yeah. You know, right. So exactly Sam obviously right. was leveraged as the only person that could do the surgery. You know, drop drop downs or whatever. You know. Yep. And we do that in a thousand different categories, right? Only one person can really do inventory. Only one person really knows how to handle it, an irate client. Only one person knows how to unblock a cat. And before you know it, we have skill gaps that are the size of the Grand Canyon. So there's only one or two people that are qualified to do yeah. every task. Right. That's the very definition of inefficiency. And it's a mistake that we don't just make once. It's a mistake that we make all day, every day. And right. Again, I'm not saying yeah, I have all the, the processes. Yeah. Right. 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 I yeah. mean, did we make that did we make that mistake at Summit today? We probably made it 15 different times in eight different departments. Yeah. <laughs> the right. trick is to trying right. to ruthlessly focus on things like we train even on our busiest days. Mm-hmm. Because we're in the business of saving lives. We can't be leveraged to the degree that you're talking about because when we are, we put lives at risk. Right. Yeah. And I love that you say that you train every day. Right. And I, I constantly am battling with practices when I talk to them about their training mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we didn't have time today. And I, I swear, I feel like I just, I get so angry. I don't know, like, <laughs> stop saying that. Right. 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 <laughs> right? You have yep. to carve time because our training yeah. sucks organically. Right? right. Like the new person right. might come in. Here's That's where right. you put your, your keys. Here's where you put your lunch. Here's the phones. Go. Right. Exactly. Right. We well, how can we ever gloves. have time if we yeah. do not make time? Make time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, problem yeah. with any kind of efficiency, right? The problem with any kind of improvement, I won't even say efficiency. Mm-hmm. We're, we're overusing that word. The problem yeah. with any kind of growth, mm-hmm. right, is that growth is painful. That's why they right. call them growing pains. There's no such thing as right. growing pleasures. Growing right. is not pleasurable. There's always pains of growth, pains of transformation, and people don't like pain. Right. And most of the leaders in veterinary medicine believe that their job is to ease tension. Our job is not quite the opposite. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Our Leaning job is to create tension. appropriate tension. Yeah, right. Exactly. And hold tension. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. So right. what is it, Brett, like why, you know, veterinary medicine has been around for a long time, but let's call it formally for, I'm making this number up, maybe 150 years, right? Maybe longer in the UK or right. in Europe. I like it. Why do we do that? Why do we have Sarah that is the only one that can operate or, you know, induce anesthesia for Dr. Smith and Jane, who is the only one that can do the end of day closing and Andrea, who, you know, is the only one that can um, do inventory. And I'm curious, like your thoughts from the global human condition perspective. I mean, if there's a veterinary 
reason, fine. But if it's like a business, you know, human reason, what is that reason? Is it like a bias? Is it a shortfall? Like, why do humans or why do we do that? And I'm sure that's we're not the only industry that does that. You know, no, why does a small, you know, yeah. like mom and pop pizza place? Why is, you know, the, the mom the only one with the key to the safe or whatever it is? What is that about that? that makes us almost hoard that stuff and, and, and not lean into an efficiency. We actually stay really inefficient in a way. Like it's like efficient, but in kind of a bubble, right? And when that bubble right. pops, i.e. that person calls out sick, it just goes to shit. But like that happens all the time, right? How many times right. is, if you talk to a veterinary owner in their 25, 30 years of practice, how many times they face that? They're like a lot of times. So why didn't we change it? So what is that about? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on why we stay inefficiently inefficient or inefficiently efficient (laughs) chronically right chronically no it's it's a great question and and first of all i just have to say i I actually love your language as a communication guy some people call them swear words i call them sentence enhancers so i i think it's awesome (laughs) that's Um, great yeah there's like studies on this right that talk about i actually no offense to anybody but i read a study that said that you know moderately or or i don't know if it's more intelligent people i don't want to summarize it but it's like people use cuss words and obviously they can be dirty or nasty, but you use them to express that's passion. Right. And that's yes, 100% where this is coming from, right? Yeah, right. Well, it's, for it's sure. part of our vernacular, right? So again, yeah. as an ethnographer, if you want to understand any culture, the first element of culture to understand is language. And, you know, swearing is usually the first, the first words you le- learn when you learn a new language are usually the cuss words. Anyway, that's right. I, I digress. <laughs> so why, why do we do, why do we end up in these same patterns, these same habits? I mean, I don't know the answer, but I'll give you my opinion. I think one of the reasons is that human beings have an incredibly strong negativity bias. We're beings of volitional consciousness. Mm -hmm. We're not the strongest or the fastest. We don't have great sharp teeth or claws. We're not even well armored. Our strength is our ability to imagine. History, life, evolution survival has rewarded us when we imagine negative outcomes and avoid those negative and outcomes. avoid them yeah okay right? mm-hmm. so i think that built-in negativity bias makes us risk adverse so i think our uh, risk of uh, interesting okay uh, I, I think yeah. we kind of tend to be like oh my god i could place this catheter but this right this, not right now just not right now right. like i'll do it right i'm not right. saying i'm not gonna do it i'll do it but just not this time yeah. And the problem is that we keep saying that over and, and over and right. over and over and right. over. Until it's like it the word busy. Anymore. Yeah. yeah. I've outlawed right. the word busy. I, mm-hmm. I hate the word busy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do I not. It. That is no excuse for me. No, if you right. cannot bring me that excuse, I will turn your little booty right out of my office. Like, don't, even, <laughs> don't even say that word. Right. Especially because right. busy is a four-letter word. Like, look, if yeah. we're in the business of saving lives, yeah. when the hell did being busy become a bad thing? Right. Yeah. Like, that makes right. no sense to me. Like, and like, we should be busy, damn right. it. It would be like Superman bitching, like, I'm here to save you, but I don't want to do it more than twice a day. That's it. That's <laughs> Two saves. Point. I'm, I'm at out. my limits. Right, right, right. The reason right. is because we're we're morally injured. We're burned out. Mm, we're exhausted. Right. So when people mm-hmm. say busy, what they're trying to say is, right, my volume is exceeding my capacity. Yeah. My tank um, is empty. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But we yeah. are we are risk adverse. Mm-hmm. I think that that problem is magnified in veterinary medicine because we're also conflict adverse, mm. right? Yeah. Challenging sure. people, which is what we're talking about, really, if yeah. you boil it down to the source code, we're challenging people and challenging people is confronting. And, and we don't do that in our profession. We don't. In any way, shape or form, we run the other way. Well, the people that we hire, the people that gravitate towards us tend to be highly empathic, mm-hmm. right? So they're deep feelers yep. and they tend to be caregivers, which means they're rescuers. Yeah, sure. In our best effort, we're not trying to say, hey, let David do it because we're being jerks. What we're trying to do is David shows up and is like, you know, let me rescue you. Let me save Mm -hmm. you. Mm Things are hard. I can carry a little bit more right now. Let me help. Yeah, right. And like so many mechanisms in nature, acutely, that's incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. Right? It's it's like when our, you know, fight, flight, freeze, fidget instincts right. kick in. Acutely, that mechanism is life-saving. Chronically, yeah. it's life-ending. It's, right, exactly. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So on the Positive Leadership Podcast, we really like to make sure that we give our uh, listeners actionable stuff, you know, to take back to their practice. So we record these on Fridays, we release them on Wednesdays. So we always talk about, because um, it's a Friday recording, you know, what people could do on Monday, you know, t- tomorrow, even on a, on a Saturday. And you've given us such great stuff to think about in terms of how to 
view inefficiency and process and flow and how it relates to, as you said, culture and endemic traits and, and even biases of the, of the human, human brain. Brett, what are like one or two really good action items that you would, if you're speaking to veterinary you know, managers and owners of a bunch of different practices, corporate, independent, all, all in between, things that they could literally put into place Monday morning at 8 a.m. that would move them 1%, one elephant bite closer uh, to tackling some of the inefficiencies in their practices? You know, one of the first things I would say is really ask yourself, what are my biggest problems right now? And some of those answers are going to be super obvious. And some of those answers you're going to have to think about for a minute. But no matter what they are, don't don't run away from it. If you're like, well, I know what my biggest problems are, but I can't fix them. I challenge that. I say stick with it for just a second. Whatever that problem is, start taking notes, right? This is my problem. This is my problem. This is my team's problem. However you want to phrase it. And then the first step is to make a plan. So often we talk about these problems, even if it's as incredibly personal as wellness. I'm concerned about my team. My team is unwell. My team is burned out. My team is morally injured. And then we'll say, what are you going to do to fix it? And they'll be like, what can I do? Unfortunately, hope is not a strategy. Prayer is not a strategy. They're beautiful things, but <laughs> they're not a plan. Yeah, say it again right? for the people in the back. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes, like, yes, yes. Step one, no matter what you're trying to fix, is have a plan. Do you actually have a process? Do you have a policy? I mean, I adore Summit, but one of the first things I said when I showed up is we were trying to work on all the things we're talking about. And I had to take a step back and I was new. So I I was asking very stupid questions, which I'm not saying to be falsely modest. They were stupid questions and I'm proud of their stupidity. And I would say things like, hey, do we have an attendance policy? And I'd get answers like, uh, kinda, or uh, no. Do do we actually have- So typical, yeah, right. right. Do yes, I hear that quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. So for example, let's take something as nebulous as wellness. My team is unwell. My team is morally injured. I can't do anything about it. I would say step one, create a plan. Even if you don't think that you can change anything, try. If you have a plan, I would reassess it. Double check it. Take 30 seconds. First of all, take 30 seconds to celebrate the fact that you have a plan. Pat yourself on the back. Polish your laurels. Trophy. Exactly. But then ask something. Like I'll give you an example. I think a lot of the challenges that we have in veterinary medicine, again, at least in my anecdotal experience of doing this a couple hundred times and for the last year or so, doing it on a really, really, really deep dive at one place, is all of our problems can be put into specific buckets. And those buckets tend to be universal. For example, I'm willing to bet every single person that listens to this has an accountability problem at their practice, right? Yes, I will agree with you. If, if you're the one clinic that doesn't, call me because I want to hear what you're doing. And P.S., I don't actually believe you. I want to very much, but I don't. I think every vet hospital has an accountability problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that you think is creating some of these other challenges, go to the source. Think of it this way. Most of the people that are probably listening to this have some form of clinical background to some degree. So here's my challenge. Oftentimes, we do things completely differently in medicine than we do in terms of leadership. And I would say, stop doing it differently. Do it the same way. Figure out what the problem is, diagnose it, and come up with a treatment plan. Step one is always diagnostics. And we often try to skip that step. Draft a treatment plan. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. Just get square with the fact that it won't be. Don't put perfection above progress. Then do all the things that you already are good at doing. Figure out what the steps are going to be. Give somebody ownership of this, even if it's not yourself. Set a budget and then integrate it into your DNA. If you want to get better at wellness, ask yourself, am I incorporating wellness into my one-on-ones with my team? Are they a part of my review process? Do I discuss them every staff meeting? Have I even built it into our values and our vision and our mission? And if you haven't taken some of the specific challenges for your practice that seriously, then that's probably part of the reason that you're not seeing progress. Yeah. And a good place to start, right? Like you said, first look at the problem, you know, do that gap analysis, do the diagnostics. Yeah. If you could give our listeners one piece of advice, uh, and maybe it's a piece of advice you would give your younger self, what would that be? Oh man, that's a really tough one. Let's Um, do some woo woo here, huh? Right. Why not? I mean, yeah, I, I think one piece of advice would be, to help the people around you realize that challenge is a good thing. I feel like not just in veterinary medicine, but as humans, we tend to run away from challenges. 
Uh, the minute things start to get fierce or intense, we have a lot of biological functions that tell us, as we talked about earlier, risk aversion. We have a lot of things telling us, hey, this is a lot. This is confronting. We just need to back off. This is yeah, not the run right like time. hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have found that the most important things that have ever happened in my life are moments where I've leaned into the challenge. I've run towards the fire. And the amazing thing is that's who I think we are in this industry. I think the word hero is ridiculously overused in a COVID world. I think that if you're not dead, you're a hero, right? Like everyone's a hero now. It's like, oh my God, you're a hero. We made it. You put on (laughs) pants today. You're a hero. And trust me, I feel that way about myself on certain days too. But I think we are in an industry of heroes and heroes are really at their best when they're running towards the fire. We're good at challenging ourselves. We just abysmally suck at challenging other people. It's okay to challenge each other. I I don't challenge the people that I think suck. I distance myself from the people that I think suck. I challenge the people that I think are amazing. And so often when we get coached, and I use coaching very intentionally, right? I think sometimes, like I hear terms like constructive criticism. And I think constructive criticism is sort of like friendly torture, That term doesn't make sense to me. Criticism is telling people what they're doing wrong. Coaching is telling people what they could do better. And there is a fundamental philosophical difference between Mm -hmm. those two things. Yeah. I'll Mm -hmm. hear people get coaching sometimes and they'll respond as if they just got abused. Mm -hmm. And I think think if we can get better at that, at leaning Mm -hmm. into the challenge, at challenging each other, not from a place of judgment, Mm -hmm. but from from a place of actual love, I I think we Mm -hmm. could change the industry. I think we could change the world. How's yeah, that I love that world? advice. <laughs> I, I do. I love it. And I often will tell people that it, I don't necessarily use the word challenge, but I will say, you know, get un- uncomfortable, mm-hmm. step out to where you're uncomfortable right. and put on the itchy wool sweater because mm-hmm. being uncomfortable yeah, it's a challenge, right? But being uncomfortable helps us grow and learn and develop and have an uncomfortable conversation or or step into the suck. Mm-hmm. You know, That's so right. many people are just afraid of that. And I'm like, no, you got to step into that suck. Right. <laughs> it sucks. I think, I think we should make t-shirts. Yeah, step into the suck. Step into the suck. I mean, <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll even say this further. You know, you talked about how discomfort helps us grow. And I, I very respectfully disagree. I think that discomfort is a requisite of growth. I don't think it just helps. I think growth only Mm -hmm. occurs in one state and one Mm -hmm. state alone. And that state is called safe discomfort. Mm -hmm. So check yourself. If you think you're developing and you're comfortable, you're not developing. Yeah, right. You got to step outside of that, right? You really do. Yeah. Yeah. And really ask yourself, right? Yeah. And not just put it on because again, I think we're, I think we're okay with that as, as rescuers. I think we're okay challenging ourselves sometimes, but I think we are abysmal at challenging each other. Because challenging Mm -hmm. others is confronting, right? I don't want to judge you. And I say to hell with that. I say we can absolutely challenge each other. Just challenge each other nicely. Mm -hmm. Challenge each other. Yeah, we can still do it respectfully. Yeah, right. Right. I like how you said that too with other people. And I immediately think of, you know, iron sharpens iron. And there is a, a strong group of my colleagues. There's about eight or 10 of us that are really, really, really close friends. And we surround each other with each other on purpose and that sense of iron sharpens iron and we can call each other out in love and we can say, Hey, where are you at with this? And Hey, I see you slipping here and Hey, I see you're struggling. Let me support you. And I think that's one thing that we could use more of in veterinary medicine Mm -hmm. where we can come around each other and support each other and tell each other the truth, right. And be Mm -hmm. just come around each other and support each other and and call each other's bullshit when we need to and love each other when we need to and support each other when the time comes. And yeah. yeah, And and iron sharpens iron. Like if you don't have a network, get one. That's it. Right. No, I love it. I'm stealing it. And there's some psychological safety there too, right. Where you have to be able to feel safe to go to your colleague, your friend, your, you know, whoever your people are and say something, right. There's gotta be some psychological safety there. And 100%. I think we lack some of that in veterinary medicine as well. But yeah, well, yeah again, that's where the safe the, the discomfort train. comes. Yeah, yeah. it's safe yeah. discomfort, right? If you're too yeah. safe, then you're not growing. But if you're too uncomfortable, then you're not growing. It's yeah. A, it's a balancing act. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love that iron sharpens iron. I'll, I'll quote one that, that I've heard a lot, which is steel is not forged at cold temperatures. It's mm-hmm. not just yeah. like, hey, sometimes when you go in the fire, mm-hmm. you grow. It's mm-hmm. you only grow if right. you're, mm-hmm. you're willing to walk through the fire. And yeah. Like, 
I don't always, yeah. I, in my last job, I had an absolutely incredible colleague. I had quite a few, but one of them in particular, uh, I would always run my workshops past her before I would present them. She did not make me feel good about myself. <laughs> Almost ever. Oops. I would like work painstakingly, right? Lovingly, even crafting my animations on my slides and everything, crafting my content. And I'd show it to her and she would often be the first person to say, eh, I don't think that was your best presentation. No. <laughs> and in the moment, it's like, oh, 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 that was not what I needed to hear. But the truth right. is, she's always truth the hurts, one I came yeah. back to. Right. Right. Yeah. Because the truth is, she made me better. I mean, if you listen to someone like Kim Scott, who has pioneered this concept of radical love candor, her. Yes. Oh she's amazing. Uh, I probably watched that TED talk like a thousand times. Yeah. Right. She's she got a podcast about, and her book and totally, she's right? great. Yeah. And she talks about two primary axes. The first one is caring personally. And the next one is challenging directly. As an industry, I think caring personally is what we do. I think it's our default yeah. setting. Yeah. Most of we the people who work now. in this industry are good at caring personally, but we utterly suck at challenging directly. So what I think we can do better is microdose it. Because when we do challenge directly, it's this giant, you know, it's a, it's an Irish beating. When we do finally challenge, yeah. we finally sit down with people. It's in a closed door meeting. HR's there. Or it's like this production, right? Like this exactly. grand production over something that you're like, That's really? Right. That's right. I mean, look, again, yeah. let's make it medical. When we do finally give coaching, it's like this giant bolus of stuff. And who's right. going to respond well to a giant bolus of anything? I mean, even praise. If you mm -hmm. sat me down for an hour and a half of recognition, look, I love being recognized. I love being patted on the head and having my hair tussled and being told what an awesome guy I am. But if you did that to me for an hour and a half, mm -hmm. at least halfway through that, I'd be like, I, I got it. I'm awesome. <laughs> Can we well, and then do that do to somebody some who stuff, is right? mortified by right. being praised, right? Well, well for sure, right? Because then when we do give feedback, being... we do it totally wrong. Totally. And almost nobody likes being criticized, myself included. We say we do, right? Like feedback is a gift. And it's like, well, <laughs> kind of. I guess my point is when we challenge, let's microdose it. Let's microdose it. Andrea, yeah. I think the world of you, you could have done this one thing a little better. That's it. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm not Thanks, mad Brent. at you. I'll take that into consideration. Appreciate right? the feedback. Right. And then what yeah. can I do better? Yeah. And once we have that relationship, the truth is we're actually going to get better. We're actually going to move the needle. The number one communication problem that I see, I mean, of all the workshops I've done, the number one workshop I've done 100,000 times is courageous conversations in some form or another. And the number one problem with communication is not miscommunication. It's not rude communication. It's not poor communication. It's not bad communication. Do you know what it is? No communication. I was going to say lack, mm -hmm. lack of communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. How many times have we all heard it? How many times have we had somebody come into our office and say, hey, I need to talk, I need to, talk to you about this person. They're amazing and I love them and they're the best, but they've got this problem and it's really throwing off the team and it's affecting me personally. And can you fix it? And what I say almost all the time is just go tell them literally everything you just told me. Why, yeah. why wouldn't you have that conversation? Why would you think I had a magic wand to then go tell them what you said and get a different result than you telling them? Right. But if I tell them, then it's non-confronting for the other person. And we are a risk-adverse, mm -hmm. challenge-adverse yeah. community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Brett, I'd love to start with the next part of our show and get into the you can't make this shit up story. <laughs> and with all of the amazing uh, life history that you've had, specifically in veterinary medicine, there's probably some good ones in there. Can you tell me about a time where you've had an interaction with either a practice owner or a practice manager, maybe an employee support staff where you have just like palm to the forehead, eyes popped out like pugs and just said, no freaking way. You can't make this shit up. Tell us your story. I'd love to hear it. Uh, can it be quasi safe for work appropriate? 
<laughs> it could be whatever you want. Like change right. the names to protect the innocence <laughs> is the only rule. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll take a risk together. I will not be risk averse right now. Um, <laughs> lean in, lean in. Right? I'm leaning in. I'm running towards the fire. One of the first times I ever went into a vet hospital, I was brand new to the industry. I was doing one of my first consulting gigs in veterinary medicine and a sales rep for my company brought me into a super, super, super busy vet hospital and they needed help with efficiency and culture and, you know, the huge, the huge. And it was a super busy day. One of the owners was running around like an absolute madman. And when the rep finally caught his attention and, and told him, you know, oh, hey, I want to introduce you to the process efficiency guy. Somehow in the din of chaos or something, I don't know if he heard it wrong or if he was actually expecting this person to show up, but he looked at me and said, oh, are, are you the nudical guy? <laughs> oh, snap. Right? And I, I was new to veterinary medicine. I had never heard of a nudical. So I learned. Nudicals. Over, right? I leaned over to the rep and I said, what's a nudical? The they said they're, they're like canine testicular implants. So they're, they're fake testicles. And he was like, yeah, are you the nudical guy? for some reason my brain completely locked and all good judgment went out the window and the only thing i think could think to say to him was no sir i'm i'm 100 homegrown and uh, (laughs) (laughs) we uh we ended up having a pretty good laugh about that and it actually ended up being one of the favorite projects that that i ever worked on and my slide deck had more than one nudical joke. In there. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Had to have. Yeah. yeah. Of yeah. course. Oh, for sure. That's awesome. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Uh, my first project when I was curled up in a little ball, calling my mentor in the parking lot because I had a huge case of imposter syndrome. Tell me about your proudest moment. Uh, all of Summit had flooded. And we had to evacuate the entire hospital during the flood. And we did not lose a single patient, even the ones that were critical and on oxygen. And nobody slipped and broke their coccyx. So, you know, mic drop. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? I love supporting heroes. And I love supporting the people that save the fur babies. I've got five kids. All of them are furry. I like supporting the people that support my kids. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Yoga, lots and lots of yoga. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I mean, the short answer is like a lot of people in this industry, I don't. Um, (laughs) But uh, I try to take the opportunity to do as much self-care as I can. And I try to get it right as often as I get it wrong. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your role in life? If I'm really being vulnerable, not being enough, not being able to support the team on the level that they need me to, letting people down. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Everything. I'm a dragon slayer. I I love knowing every day in veterinary medicine that there are monsters to slay and that there's a journey to take and that it's always an amazing journey. Amazing. Well, Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you so much. I had a blast. You guys awesome. are. This was fun. A ton Loved of fun it. to talk to, right? <laughs> there awesome. you go. Snap, it's awesome. over. Yeah, we'll have a great weekend. You do the same. Thanks again.